have the El Salvador team come up here? Where are you guys? Come on. Don't be shy. Give them a hand, yeah? Yeah, come on. Keep it coming. Are you guys coming out of your holes? Right? What, well, did you guys miss us when we are gone? Yeah, maybe? Well, I want to have Colin share. He's going to give us the rundown of what happened and I'm going to have each one of you guys maybe just give a quick highlight. What was your favorite part of the trip? But Colin's going to give the group the heads up on what we did and kind of what the week looked like. And uh, go for it. So this is the team that went down there, and it was a great team. Um, this is my first mission trip that I ever went on, and I didn't really know what to expect. And I think third world countries aren't really something that you get ready for. You just go, and what happens, happens. Um, so we went down there with the goal of building a school or a classroom. And we got quite a bit of it done. I'll talk about that a little later. Uh, we went down there to work with Agua Viva, which is uh, building clean water filters and installing them in people's homes. Uh, El Salvador has horrible water, and it causes a lot of disease in uh, people, and people die. So Agua Viva's mission down there is incredible. Um, we also went to an orphanage, as you guys saw. And I think that was the highlight of my trip, um, just seeing how happy these girls are, even though they don't have anything, they're extremely happy with what they have. So it was amazing just to see, in, see them interact with us and just the, the, just full of life, how, how are they, they're full of life. So um, we also did a church service that was amazing. Uh, it was so cool to see like all of us stepping up and really praying for the needs of the people and just seeing how they were impacted by that. I mean, we prayed for one lady and she was just in tears because she was there last year. She, was, she saw us this year again and it was just amazing to have that connection with her again. Um, so we went down there to build that school. When we got down there, you guys saw in the pictures there was a school that started build, we started to build and a classroom right next to it. That one, the community started to build but they ran out of money, so uh, one of our goals was to just build one classroom, but when we saw that, we're like, you know what, we got to finish this for them. And uh, thanks to you guys and all of our sponsors, we raised enough money to finish that classroom, also finish the one that we started. Um, by the end of the week, we had our classroom almost two-thirds done, which this was a, like a four-week project, and we like shortened it by... I don't know, like maybe in half. Mm -hmm. So we got quite a bit done there. Uh, Agua Viva, we installed, we built and installed 15 filters. Building filters is not that easy. In El Salvador, they don't believe in concrete mixers or anything like that. So the way we built uh, mixed concrete was with a shovel and some elbow grease. So that was quite a bit of fun. Um, installing the filters was extremely rewarding. Uh, you could just see the joy of, on people's faces when that water came out of the filter clean. Um, so huge impact, and it was just incredible. And I think uh, probably one of the most important things to me was just the impact that we left on those kids. Mm -hmm. And at the orphanage, uh, there's a girl that's going to come visit the U.S. She's going to go to D.C. And she, she was at the orphanage last year, and she said that we inspired her. She wants to be just like us. Mm -hmm. So that to me was incredible because, you know, we're a college group in Sacramento. We don't have the unlimited resources to, you know, help everybody in El Salvador, but by going down there and just really influencing one person that can go back down there and, you know, just really impact their community, I think that's incredible. And uh, I want to thank you guys mm -hmm. for sending us down there and you know, the leadership for the vision for El Salvador. So thank you. Cool. Yeah, thank you. Now, team, I know we spent uh, 10 days down there together. The heat was about 90 degrees or so, about 80% humidity. It was hot. And we live with a the family. They cooked for us. They cleaned for us. All the food is fried. I mean, it's like, you, no matter what you eat, your hand is like dripping in grease. And uh, you're like, oh, thank you. So delicious, you know. And... Um, <laughs> Like on a hot day, we'd come back for lunch break, and they would fix a soup. And you're like, oh, thank you so much for the soup, you know, and <laughs> wouldn't bow to them. But, you know, you get the idea. So um, I just want to go real quick. What was a, a, a trip highlight? And I'm going to talk about tonight a little bit of our details. But I'm just curious if you guys can go down. What was the one highlight of the trip for each of you? 
Uh, one of my highlights was on the day that we gave uh, water filters was that not only did they just really enjoy and were fully thankful for what was done, they are even more of a giving community than, mm -hmm. than we even imagined. We were poured love on, you know. They, if one of us looked up and said, wow, look at that mango, in two minutes it was in our hand. <laughs> you know, they want to love us. And they remember the love that's given to them. And that is just a value that I want to be in this world. Thank you. I had a lot of highlights. Um, but my favorite thing was going into the homes with the families. Um, it would be very intimate with them. And something that I think is rare to experience when you travel to other countries where you actually get to go into people's homes. and. Um, provide them something and ask if you can pray for them. Um, there were a lot of homes I really enjoyed. I think one of my highlights was towards the end. We went to one home with one, a really sweet grandma that had her two grandchildren living with her, little kids, and her son. And we saw that throughout the week she would cook pupusas on the side of the street and was always really smiling and happy. She came to our church service, um, went to her home towards the end of the trip, and and we're talking to her and just asked her, asked her if she had any prayer requests. And she said, you know, she kind of got quiet because she had been really chattery. And, you know, asked her how she was. Oh, everything's great. And when I asked her a specific prayer request, she goes, well, the reason my grandchildren live with me is because my daughter's in jail. And I said, well, can we pray for you for that? And she goes, definitely. And we started praying for her. And she just started sobbing. And she started praying, too. And I was just moved by the faith of these people. And their faith moved me. And um, I just really treasured those as some of my highlights. Yeah. My highlight of the trip was going to the orphanage also, like Collins. And um, we've gone there the past three years. So it was just really awesome to see how excited they were um, that we were coming and how excited we were that we were going to see them again. And so it's been, you know, like I said, three years. So we've seen some of the same girls there. And, you know, the first year it took them a little while to warm up to us and maybe a little bit last year but this year there was like I don't know it was just very comfortable and they, they just felt safer with us I guess you could say so it's awesome to be able to bless them just like personally we did um, manicures and and makeovers and it's fun how excited they get when they're like when Mike has painted their nails pink and we've done like <laughs> their makeup and stuff and they look in the mirror and they're just like oh my gosh, I'm so pretty, I don't even know what to do, you know, so it's just awesome to like, you know, provide for them with groceries and, you know, just um, basic needs and then also to just give them a little bit extra, so that was my highlight. I'd say my highlight has to be two words, concrete volcano. Yeah. Definitely. Um, these people are workhorses to the 10th power. They, they do manual labor with no shoes on and smiling like how's your day and they're just building a building with no shoes on and um they mix concrete on the ground as we said and how this works is you shovel dirt to get the fine dirt the good dirt and then you put it in this pile and you spend half the day making this big pile of dirt that you end up moving four times <laughs> and then there's another big pile of, of gravel and it's, it's choice gravel Yes, you move that, too, a couple times around for no reason. And um, then you have the big old bags of concrete, and um, they gladly demonstrated for us a couple times, and it, it looked so easy. What they do is they take this dirt, and they just plop it on the ground, and then they get a big pile of it, and they carve out, like, a little bowl. Volcano. And they, yeah, and then they dump the uh, concrete in there, and then they kind of build up the walls, and then they dump some water in there, and then they somehow just build up the walls to where it, like, somehow submerges in, and then it all mixes. It, it, it makes sense if you don't think about it. And, um, and it's like you shovel this 20-pound shovel of concrete, and you're trying to mix it, and it takes them, like, five minutes, and then they let us Americans do it, and we're like, no problem. We take the shovels. I had, like, my scrawny arms with my sleeveless don't laugh cuff yeah. and I like tried to like 
put it in there, and it took me like 20 minutes. And it's funny because they watched us do this, and they would wait for it because what happens is you build the walls up, and the water's in there, and the concrete's in there, and inevitably a leak springs, and the entire thing just gushes out. And they know how to prevent that, but we don't. So they like are all watching, and we're going. And then the leak bursts, and they laugh because we're all freaking out, trying to fix it. We're like ankle deep in concrete, and so that was really spiritual. It changed me. Praise the Lord. No, that was definitely one of my highlights for purely entertainment purposes. Um, the other highlight would be um, two of them. One was we were at the orphanage, and this girl, the girl that's going to be going to D.C. Um, just very passionate about singing and creative arts, and she's pretty much self-taught, playing a guitar that's out of tune, singing with all of her heart, and it still wants to bring you to tears, you know? And so when she was done singing, I had my iPhone, and I walked up to her, and I pulled up my IMT Pain app, and I was like, hey, come over here for a minute. And so she's like, okay, and I had her sing the worship song she sang to everybody into my little IMT Pain app, and she's like, what is this guy doing? I'm like, sing! She doesn't understand what I'm saying. I'm like, Sing like charades that she should sing. I'm like, come out, tell her to sing. Please sing. And then she's like, okay, just don't hurt me. And she sings into my iPhone, and I play it back all auto-tuned. And she was like, I'm a professional. And so I'm working on right now, like, trying to mix it in and take the highs and lows out and put some music. I want to send it to her so she has her own little CD. And that's going to be awesome. And then the other um, highlight would be last year we, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to share about the, crazy girl. Anyways, there was a girl who had some issues mentally. She was just Gladys. For some reason, for about a year, she just became unresponsive to the world around her. Um, And then she just had some bodily problems that were happening that were really hard to explain. And um, it was just very troubling. And her parents were, apparently she was in and out of mental hospitals. They didn't know what to do. And last year, we just, we came across her by chance. And, well, not by chance. God kind of led us there through uh, Elizabeth and Stephanie, I think. It was just like on their heart to go there. Somehow, they ended up there. And we started praying for this girl. And then when we came back this year, we were doing the service at the Catholic Church. And uh, she showed up in the middle of our service just sitting in the pews, and she was totally fine. And apparently, she um, started getting better shortly after we left. And that just blew my mind because they'd been working on her for about a year with no progress. And then we prayed our faces off for her, and she's all better. So that totally blew my mind. Thanks, the end. Uh, I'd say one of the, the highlights of the trip was um, also visiting the orphanage. Um, that day happened to be my husband's birthday. That was also on the trip. And so somebody in the group had the idea to get cake and ice cream for the girls and sing happy birthday and feliz cumpleaños and... Um, they never get cake. They never get ice cream because of limited funds and space in the freezer. So when they saw it, like, their eyes dilated. And they were, like, chocolate all over their face, like, all down their clothes. Like, they couldn't get enough of it. And, like, to, to sing happy birthday to Dave and, like, just to see these kids devour this cake and ice cream was a definite highlight of the trip. I think I have a couple highlights, and one would be, first of all, the fellowship time that we had um, with each other, and just the time that we got to spend with each other, getting to know each other, and um, learning about each other, and um, I really enjoyed that time. Um, Also, probably the orphanage. It was really fun to paint nails, Um, even though I'm bad at it. Mike was probably (laughs) the best one. Um, And then my other highlight would probably be um, the... I think it was the third and final day we went back to um, the school that we were building the classroom at, and um, we kind of had a party for them on the last day. Mm -hmm. And they knew the whole week that we were having this party on this last day, so it was like all the town could talk about. All the kids were so excited about the party. Um, We just brought them tons of school supplies, tons of, like, toiletries and um, tons of soccer balls, and we just hung out there and played with them for a couple hours, and that was probably, like, the highlight of their year there. So it was fun for us, fun for them, and, yeah, that's it. Uh, As for me, um, there were many highlights on this trip. Uh, It was kind of a little eye-opening for me because the only other place I'd ever been outside of the country was Mexico. So I came in with this expectation that everything in El Salvador would be exactly like Mexico, climate-wise, people, 
the economy, everything, and it was completely opposite. So that kind of um, threw me for a loop. But if I were to boil it down to a couple things, obviously the orphanage was, was a special place. Um, I think it touched everyone's heart. It, it hit me a little different than everyone else, I think. Um, I looked at it more, and I was more sorrowful, sorrowful after leaving. Uh, I just couldn't believe that such girls with high spirits, um, great attitudes, and, and really all of them were a joy to be around could be just left and abandoned. And then uh, when I found out that it's nearly impossible to, to be adopted, you know, that, that kind of broke my heart a little bit to believe that these girls have, you know, if, if they were at anywhere else, they weren't at this orphanage, which seems like they do such a great job in, in preparing them for the real world. But if they were anywhere else, it would be like they'd have no hope. So uh, the orphanage for me was a little bit more a little bit more heartbreaking than anything else. But if I could boil any moment down to one remem- memorable moment for me, it would just be um, seeing the team, uh, spe- particularly on the days where we went out and prayed for everybody. Mm-hmm. This was a very special team. Um, I've been on two other missions trips, and usually at the end of the trip, you end up hating at least two or three people or a couple people hate each other. And outwardly, nobody showed that. You know, inwardly, <laughs> who knows? But outwardly, nobody showed that. Um, and just seeing everybody just follow after God's heart and, mm. and go out there with, with, uh, with the faith and boldness to, mm. to go out and just pray for people and talk to people and, and um, you know, ask them, ask them the questions that nobody wants to ask. I mean, we went and did the church service at the Catholic Church, and me personally, I feel like that's what separates this group from almost every other group that goes out and does a, a missions trip. I mean, anyone can go out and build a, build a house. Anyone can go build a a place. Anyone can say, yeah, we love Jesus. Here's a bunch of money and now go build a school and do this. But it takes people with, with the knowing of who their father is and a, and a knowing of themselves and, and a faith and a trust in, in their Lord to go out and say, hey, can I pray for you? And then not only that, but to act on what God tells them or brings in front of them. And, and that's pretty much what we did when we prayed for people in their houses. And that's what we did when we prayed at the Catholic Church. And any other situation where we got to pray for somebody, we generally went out and Spoken boldness. So that's my most memorable moment. Um, I would have to say that the trip in a whole was uh, really eye-opening and a great experience. It definitely changed my life, and I think everyone else's also. Um, the people of El Salvador really had nothing at all, but they were still just so humble. And that definitely motivated me. It uh, gave me a sense of appreciation for just how lucky we are. Um, we have so many opportunities that, we, that they will never have. Mm. And that definitely uh, put things into perspective for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the highlight was, of my trip was the whole trip. I think it was just a lot of fun. Everybody really came together, and we got a lot of things done. I think we made uh, a really lasting impression on everybody. Uh, Hanging out with the kids was a great time. Just putting a smile on their face by just, you know, spending a couple hours with them, playing with them was, uh, was uh, you know, it was great. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a couple. And I think my first one was just, uh, I don't speak very good Spanish at all, but I'm pretty good at construction. And so there's a couple guys there that we had hired uh to start the project before we got there and then to finish whatever we didn't finish. And um, just like getting there on the first day and seeing where they were and I kind of knew what was going on. And then the day we started working, I was just able to kind of like jump in with them and just start working. And if I needed something, I would like wave my arm and like kind of point at what it was and like put up like digits, like I need three of those. But I was, like, speaking English, and they were trying to say Spanish. But somehow it worked out that we were able to communicate just through nonverbals, and and I felt like I almost, like, bonded with these three little Mex- or El Salvadorian guys. <laughs> and uh, so that was pretty, pretty cool, uh, one of my highlights. And then my other highlight was when we were at the Catholic Church, and um, we had... Uh, uh, taking spaghetti out to some of the poorer families in the village with this group of teens um, that this uh, El Salvadorian pastor leads, and um, almost like a El Salvadorian youth group, and um, 
and he's just a, a nice little humble guy. But uh, the thing about him, about him, that struck me the most was just his faith. We uh, um, we kind of were praying there in the Catholic Church, and then you know he he was there with a couple of his uh, team members, and uh, we just decided to pray for him and uh, just about what his impact was with the, these teens and that he would uh, have prosperity uh, in his work there. And then uh, Dave was talking to him a little bit earlier and found out that he was having, uh, like, his kidneys were failing or it was something like that. And he didn't want to go to a doctor. Um, not that he couldn't go to a doctor, but he just felt like, hey, my God's bigger than this kidney infection or whatever. Like, like if it's my, you know, thing to live and to be healed of this, then God will take care of it. And so it was just like crazy to you know it's just like whatever like i'm in god's hands like he's my creator he's my maker you know he'll heal me and just seeing that faith was uh was pretty powerful and, and then just being able to pray for pray over him uh, about that was uh really impacting thanks mike so uh I have two highlights. My first highlight is seeing Kelly and Julie rap. So let's cue the video. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Kidding, kidding. But Kelly and Julie rap, so you may want to ask them to perform that for you. Um, So good. But I think one of my, the highlight of my trip probably was the orphanage. Um, As somebody mentioned, last year I went on the trip to El Salvador, and it was... um, to be able to talk to, like, the mama of the house and hear some of the background stories of where these girls came from and what they had been through, you can totally understand why they didn't trust anybody, why they were quiet and kept to themselves. Um, And when we went this year, there was just a totally different atmosphere. There were some new girls, but some of the girls that we had met last year were still there. And it was just amazing to see the transformation that this house had on them and um, and how they embraced us, how they were happy, how, like RJ said, they were just totally adoptable. They were just anybody, you know, they could fit into anybody's home. And it was just so sad to see them there, but at the same time, it was humbling to realize that they could be happy even in that tough situation, even in that hard um, circumstance. Mm. So I think that was one of my highlights. Like I took that away from them, that regardless of what their circumstance was and what their situation was, they were still positive. Um, the girl who's coming to um, the United States, she got a, a scholarship, um, a leadership scholarship, so she's going to be traveling to Washington, D.C. and a couple other monuments. So it's just pretty amazing that um, that nothing will stop them. Yeah. So. Cool. Thank you, team. Can we give them a hand? Appreciate you guys. What's really awesome is that, you know, this trip was... It's not like this is a church-sanctioned trip. It's, well, it kind of is, but it's not something that they developed, meaning that it was uh, myself and two friends about uh, four years ago. We just booked tickets to El Salvador, and we just wanted to, you know, go there. And so we met people, and so what I want to talk briefly tonight um, is just what, I guess, what our expectations are for God in our life and in the kingdom. I wonder, like, have we really thought about, okay, I'm here in this life. I'm, I'm here tonight. I, I'm, I'm in Christ. Now, what is the expectation that God has for me in my life? When you, when you think that you're going to have an account at the end of life, you're going to be in front of Christ, and you're going to look backwards on this time you spent here on earth, what is, your gonna, what is your feedback going to be? Is it going to be meeting the expectations that you had hoped for this life? What is your expectation for your faith? Is, is your expectation for your faith to live a good life, to do some good things, to have 2.5 kids and a dog, and all those things? Like, what is, what is the ambitions, what is the expectations that you have for life? And I, I would argue that tonight there are two issues with expectations in the kingdom. Two issues that that I see most common when people think about, who am I in the kingdom? Because isn't that what that's all about? Sure, we might be going to school, we might have jobs, we might be going, we might be going to El Salvador, we might do all these different things, but 
What is the expectation that God has for you and you feel that you have from God for your stewardship of this life? If we believe that we are in Christ, we know that this is temporary and we are here for God's pleasure and to do his work. So what is the expectation of that work? And I want to suggest that there's two issues. The first one, which I think is the most common, is the absolute lack of any expectation. The absolute lack of anything of significance of God's kingdom. What a bummer that is. If we had a God who was sent to earth, was crucified, was risen from the dead, and surely he says that the power that raised Christ from death to life is in us, and we'll be his witnesses in the earth. Surely we are destined for great things in this world. Maybe you're not going to be the next Billy Graham. Well, maybe not with that attitude, but maybe you're not going to be, you know, traveling the world in, 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 in front of millions of people, but maybe you will go to an orphanage, and maybe you'll change the life of one girl who will be forever transformed that you came into her little orphanage, abandoned, sexually molested, abused, left for dead, and you came and you brought her gifts and painted her nails. Surely there's an expectation that God has transformed her world. But why do we have such low expectations for what God would do in our life through us? Why do we minimize our significance on the earth? Wouldn't it be a bummer if, uh, like, Beethoven was like, well, I just don't think I'm that good of a composer. Or maybe Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, I don't think I'm that good of a speaker. I don't think I have the initiative. What if Christopher Columbus said, I'm not that adventurous, I'm not that good at sailing, or, you know, whatever. What a bummer that would be. And maybe if we're God's children, we're God's people, and he says that his power is in us, and we look at it and we say, we're not really meant to do much beyond making money, having babies, doing different things. I don't know. Not screwing up life. It seems like everyone's objective is not to screw up in life. And I I think there's a component where let us be the best versions of of Christ transformed that we can be, but I, I think there's an other side of the component to where God is maybe asking us to elevate the expectations that we have for ourselves. And so the first issue, I think, is that we need to begin to think, what is the expectation that we want to set for ourselves? What do we think the expectation is that God has for us? Well, I can tell you Acts 1.8 says that when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses in all of Jerusalem, Judea, and all of Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Translation. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll have power, you'll have influence, and it'll be for a global scale. Are you with me? I don't think that when Jesus said, I give you my spirit, you'll have power, that he meant for you to have a mediocre life. I know I've beaten it into the ground here, but John 10, 10, that we'd have life and life abundantly. We'd have epic life. That is our namesake. We believe that there's something more than have a contemporary life that allows us to be pew potatoes, go and feel good because we went to church once a week, and just go on the rest of life. I don't believe that. I really believe that God-sized opportunities are going to come to those with God-sized expectations. I'll tell you, the missions trip we do, it was just myself and two friends. We just went to El Salvador and we thought, hey, we can bring a team down here. What is your El Salvador? Acts 1.8. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That was the local place. And Judea and Samaria. This Sacramento right now is your Jerusalem. You are called to be Christ's witness in Jerusalem, in your Sacramento, in your workplace. And as you become God's witness where you are right now, you're going to be his witness in the county, in Sacramento. And then all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, from Sacramento to California, to the United States, to the world. Amen? Amen. Why do we settle that God just wants us to have an okay life, and we, we expect that this comfort and its ability to come to us. I just don't see it in the, the scriptures. In fact, I see that we will miss God-sized opportunities because we have such low expectations upon ourselves and God. That's the first thing wrong. We need to believe that God has a divine purpose, that he has created us to be his witnesses. You are going to be the closest thing to Jesus in the sphere around yourselves. That coworker, that student, your family, if they're not safe, you are going to be the closest thing to Jesus that they will ever meet. And you need to believe that God is giving you divine power for influence for that time. The second thing, and this is not as common as, by, but I believe that there are unrealistic ideas for how that expectation will be filled. 
And th- this comes like a slight angle, and I see it only a little bit, but it, it is dangerous to note that, that when we think that God has given us giftings and expertise, we think it's all going to come naturally, and we're not going to have to work and push for it. You know how it's, it's so easy to assume that, um, okay, God, if you're really in this, you're going to make it really, really easy. And if you're not, you're going to make it hard. I don't, I don't get where that becomes theologically sound. If you look at, I just challenge you, go home and look at how each one of the apostles died. I mean, Peter was crucified upside down. I don't have the right to be crucified right side up. It's crazy. Each one of them endured unbelievable hardships, torture, they were beaten. They, I mean, you research their stories. If they would have tied their positive life results with God's plan and purpose, we would not be here today. They've been like, oh, God's definitely not in this. No, they understood that the, the vision is fulfilled through the purpose and the pain. They know that we have to contend and we have to fight for it. I think that we maybe expect that there's going to be a kingdom lottery. You know, like being in business, there's one thing I know. There's no get-rich-quick scheme. I've tried a couple. They don't work. I don't know anybody. I saw this week someone who uh, saw, like, the winning lottery numbers in, like, the newspaper, and they're like, yeah! And they found out that the newspaper printed the numbers wrong. How bummer of a deal would that be, right? They're out there, like, buying cars and homes and lighting money on fire, and like, yeah! And then they find out they got nothing. And the lottery is amazing, but, but maybe we're in here, we're, we're playing kingdom lottery, right? Like, maybe if I just go to church, maybe there'll be a huge God move, and I'll just kind of, like, get splashed on, you know, from it, and it'll be awesome. I don't see that anywhere. We need to know that, that God has called us to push the boundaries. Matthew eleven twelve says the kingdom of God is moving by force, and forceful men lay hold of it. Meaning that we need to be the ones that are pushing the boundaries of the kingdom of God. It says, go out and bring them by highways and byways. We're not going to be back here on little couch potatoes and waiting for God to bring them to us. Why do we expect that? You don't have the move of God in your life because you do not contend for it. I want to be a community here where every week we come together and we contend. God, whether it's a small little bit, a word, a blessing, a positive just affirmation of God's love over us, or whether it is a supernatural move that we encounter a tangible move and we each pursue it. If we come in here and we're just expecting just to hang out, maybe see some friends, we get some pizza, some great music. We got a fog machine. Like, who else has that, right? I mean, you come in here for that, and you're not getting touched by God. I put the blame on ourselves. You should not look to me. You should not look to Aaron. You should not look to Liz or Katie or Sean or all these amazing people. Don't depend on a move of God to anybody else in here but yourselves. God's given us personal responsibility. He says, forceful men lay hold of it. Are you going to fight for the move of God in your own life. Second Timothy 2.15. This is great. I was in El Salvador and I was hanging out with Sal and, and we get into the word and we read some of the scripture here in Second Timothy and, and it just so just invigorated me. It says, work hard. Everyone say, work hard. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and one who correctly explains the word of truth. Is your faith hard work? Is your faith, do you look at your faith right now and do you think like, man, I love Jesus, but man, this is hard. Do you have a a component where you look at your life and think, this is not as easy as I thought it'd be? If your faith is not one of contending and pushing through difficult circumstances, if it's not one that is pushing through barriers and you're having resistance that you go through, I would challenge you that you might not be doing faith right. It's called us. We need to work hard. We need to be diligent, just like any other relationship with my wife. I mean, any, if someone tells you marriage is easy, they don't have a very good marriage, right? My wife will say amen to that. If you want to have a good marriage, you have to contend, you have to sacrifice, you have to give, you have to invest yourself into it. I like to joke that I just can't have a good marriage by reading the Wikipedia page on women. You know, that's not going to do me any good. It's like, I once went into a a bookstore and I saw like a book and it's like, everything that men know about women. I was like, oh, little cheater book. I open up, it's all blank. It's like, amazing. Seriously, it's great. I need to get that on my bookshelf. 
But we need to know that, that we ourselves, you and I, you, 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 you are the fruit of Jesus. Remember, you're going to be the closest thing to Jesus that most people around you know. You are the tangible fruit that's plucked off the tree. All we are is we're just a branch. You're the fruit. We get verified and legitimized based on your lives. I get verified on my leadership and my stewardship of here by your life. You are the fruit of Christ. You are the fruit of ministry. You are the fruit of this world and this life. Now, if you're not fighting to birth fruit, if you're not fighting for God to transform you, then I would argue that you're not bearing fruit, which is okay, because this is why we're talking about this. We need to know that if we're on autopilot, we're missing out on huge God-sized opportunities, and we become rendered useless for his purposes, and we get discouraged because we wonder, where is God? Show me someone who says, where is God? I don't know where God is, and I'll show you someone who's not put a whole lot of thought and intention behind their faith and knowing Jesus. I wouldn't have a very good marriage if I just talked to Camille over meals for 30 seconds. Thank you, Camille, for this meal. Amen. That wouldn't be a very good relationship, would it? But you need to invest yourself. You need to put forward. If there's not tension and, and, and effort put into it, you're not going to have what you're hoping for. I'm humbled that God can use anyone but I believe that he wants to use a select few for his purposes. You know, like in the military, uh, there's like the lowest of the low is like, what does it call Like the, the seaman, you know? It's like I, I looked up like all the military ranks. And, like the bottom is like the seaman. His only job is like, you know, like do this little guy, you know? And just like clean the poop deck, you know, over and over again. And maybe he'll get his toothbrush out, you know. That's like the lowest. And then the next is like the able seaman, which I don't know what the difference is there. But maybe you can just fog a mirror. That's all it requires to be a seaman. But the able seaman, maybe they give him the job to wash the windows. I don't know. But the highest the high is the special forces. Doesn't that sound awesome? I'm going to be like, I want to be special forces. I think it's the same thing about our faith, is that we can certainly come into the kingdom of Christ. We can enlist in his army, if you will. And we can be content that we'll be the seaman or the able seaman. Maybe we have special privilege. Maybe, you know, we prayed with somebody and, oh, awesome, you know. But I want to be special forces. I don't know about you. Is I want to be positioned for God to use in such a powerful, unique way. And I looked up the definition on Wikipedia of, of special forces, and this is awesome. Think about this in you in the kingdom. The special forces are an elite military tactical team trained to perform high-risk, dangerous missions that conventional units cannot perform. Don't you want to be in the power of Christ where he calls you to do things that others cannot? Does that attract you? Does it attract you that you'd be able to do something that other people cannot? They don't understand why, but you can and they cannot. I believe it's available to everybody. Special forces soldiers need to be physically and mentally robust and have the confidence, courage, skill to operate individually or in small teams, often in isolation and in a hostile environment. Are you depending upon this meeting or a Sunday meeting or somewhere else to be encouraged by God? If you want to be special forces, you've got to be ready that you might be in isolation by yourself and you still need to have the capacity to get everything from God to encourage you and provide for the strength. There's this, this idea that when we come into Christ, that we call them babes of Christ, we're on milk. You know, we, we, we're just, we need everything given to us. But if we're not growing just as a normal baby grows, then we're not growing in our faith to where we can be self-sustaining to where eventually we can be emancipated. Eventually, it doesn't matter where you are in your faith. You could be brand new. You could have been saved four seconds ago. That'd be cool. But you could be right there, but eventually you need to be moving and growing and developing and have a larger appetite. That's one thing about that I'm going to soon learn having a kid on the way. It's crazy, right? Is that I'm going to watch this whole entire analogy unfold on my face. It's going to be crazy. Hopefully, I'm sure there'll be projectile fluids and things, but I'll get to watch a life go from depending and needing on everything and into 18 years having someone say, I'm ready. You train me well. I'm going to move forward. 
I'm okay with people saying, I need training. I need to, to grow and develop. I'm totally awesome with that. But we need to be moving to that to where we can be prepared to where we're not so dependent upon each other, upon a church, upon a single pastor. I've had amazing pastors. I've had amazing churches. And I see some people when like a ministry goes away or changes or the senior pastor leaves and their faith just plummets. And they, they become the the infant that is, is forever attached to the mother, and they only can get the food from that. Or you see churches in, in which the Christians will attend only if their favorite pastor is, is preaching. Or maybe only if the band is. And, and so they take the approach like, I'm, I'm dependent upon this institution, this person, this format, this style of appetite to feed me. Special forces are high-value assets commanded at the strategic level that deliver effects disproportionately to their size. Isn't that awesome? Special forces deliver effects disproportionately to their size. Acts 1-8, remember, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, meaning you will have a multiplication effect that is entrusted to you beyond one person. God will entrust you with the power of many by yourself when the Holy Spirit comes on you, when you have been entrusted with that. And as you steward it a little bit, God will give you promotion. He'll give you more. You can look through the Bible, study stewardship. Look at how God's response is to people who are obedient a little bit, and he gives them more. We want more? Be obedient with a little bit. I tell you that my expectation is I want to stand on the other threshold of life, and I want to feel and know that I steward this time well the best I could, whether it's one person or a million. But I realize that if my ambition is to, to influence a million people, that I have to do it one at a time. If I can't do it one person at a time, if I cannot communicate God's truth and love just to one person, God will never give me a million people. Why would I expect that? Why would I expect God to leapfrog me through the purification and the, the, the discipline process to give me a platform of, of a million people if I can't simply tell my neighbor about Christ? If we want great things from God, we've got to know that he's going to give us little breadcrumbs and say, okay, I'm going to put the, the ball on the, on the tee at first. I'll throw you the fastball, but I want to see, one, can you swing the bat? It's great news because I believe God is going to give us all these opportunities consistently as we seek him. If we have the expectation that God's going to do it, then I believe that we need to open our eyes because it's going to be on the way. The funny thing is that the harder I work to present myself for God's purposes, the greater faith he gives me. The more effort I put in towards being ready and used for God's purposes, the more faith I have that he will meet that expectation for me. I'm not going out there and trying to force it. I'm just saying, God, give me increasing faith. And we're in El Salvador, and we're at the church service, and we're praying for people, and so I'm praying with this lady, and so she's talking about this crazy, like, just horrible pain that, like, she cannot move. The pain is so bad. And so we're praying for it, and I'm praying in English, right? We, we have a bad language barrier. And all of a sudden, like, the translator goes away, and we're just praying in English, you know. We could be saying anything. She would never know the difference. And so, like, I stop in the middle of it, and I'm just, like, looking around. Everyone else is praying. There's, like, no translators, you know. And so I'm like, what do I do? And so I grab somebody, and I just said, I need you to ask if something happened in this woman's life 12 months ago. How weird does that sound? I just, I need to know, I feel we're, we're praying for pain, but I believe we're praying for the wrong thing. Now, it's kind of weird to tell a woman who's sobbing, barely can stand up in pain, to say, I think we're praying about the wrong thing. It's not pain we're praying about. So finally, I get someone, I forget who it was. I think it was Andrew. And he like looks at me like, are you serious? You know, you really want me to ask that? And so, sure enough, like, when he asked her what happened 12 months ago, she breaks down and cries. She's like, my mother died. And so then we change the focus upon praying for the recovery and the healing of the loss that happened from her family. And so that changed everything. And so God has given me greater faith to know that when we're praying, and I don't understand anything, it's a trillion degrees in there, and I'm getting this, this like, ask about 12 months ago, like, Man, all right. But that, that for me completely changed the entire evening to know that God had connected with me and that through the language barrier, I was able to connect with her and she knew that God was moving at that moment. And because of that, her faith 
is in strengthened and elevated. Second Timothy 2.20 says this. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of silver and gold, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil, special forces used for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you'll be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Doesn't that sound awesome? It's not awesome that we'd be in a position to be ready to be used for every good work. Now it says that if you would keep yourself pure. Now we can have, you know, like the conversation, I know every mind in here to jump to like, oh, sexual immorality. Sure, that's one component of it. But what about all the junk that we allow into our minds? What about all the things that we allow our mouths to say? What about all the ways in which we cut ourselves down? I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. God's not going to use me. What about the ways we cut other people down? You're not good at that. What are you doing about that? What are the ways in which we look and we look at ourselves and we say, God, we need you to purify our, like, head to toe. Yes, relationally. Yes, physically, the flesh. I get that. But what about the transforming of our minds? Romans 12.2 says, Do not form to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you may be able to test and approve what God's will is. I think it's calling us to purify our minds, to look at the world differently, to know that he has called us into relationship with them to do great exploits that are disproportional to each one of us by ourselves. I just want to know that we're ready for it. If this is revealing to you, if this is stirring you, no sweat. It's awesome. That's why we, we come together and we, we wrestle together and we try and find God's purpose in his word. But the thing I've learned most is that when we find like, okay, God, I want you to open up an opportunity for me. And we're going to pray that here in just a second as we close. We're going to pray that God gives us opportunity, but you will never, ever, 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 ever run out of excuses why not to do something. You will consistently manufacture, make, find, you will prove yourself out of any difficult decision, out of any opportunity you ever want. You will never run out. It's like peeing in the wind. I know there was some other, some other analogy there that was not right, but that one also follows true. It's not going to work. It's just, <laughs> sorry. Man, I forget what that term was. It was not that one, though, but... It's, it's that futile. You, you, you are expecting a ridiculous outcome by assuming that you will convince yourself of things that, that don't feel comfortable. You've got to know that there's hard work there. So let me leave you with this, and we'll have the band come up, and we'll just sing one song here to close us. This. this is Galatians 6, 9. It says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a great harvest if we do not give up. Isn't that what you want? You want the great harvest. It says, therefore, as we have the opportunity. Everyone read that. As we have the opportunity. Isn't that great? God's, like, God will appreciate your effort to go out there and go and save the world right now. But that might be overthinking a little bit. It just says, as we have the opportunity to do good to all people, especially to those belonging to the family of believers. Meaning we encourage each other because that encourages us to go out into the world. But all I'm asking for you, and maybe we can all stand right now, is all I want you to do as we pray that God would open up divine opportunities for us, that we would have a corrected expectation for his purposes for us. That we would be having the expectation that we are going to be required to put in work for it. And that all God wants us to do is to respond how Jesus would respond when given the opportunity. Amen? So, Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you, Lord, for our team and, Lord, for El Salvador. Lord, we thank you that that trip was 
birthed out of just us seeing opportunity, Lord, to make a difference. And really, Lord, just to go down and to be changed ourselves. And Lord, you've done so much through us. Lord, I thank you that we never listened to the fact that we're poor. We're in our 20s. We don't have jobs. We don't have ambitions. We don't have money. And Lord, not only did you provide for every penny for our trip, Lord, you gave us such a grand surplus that we could finish another school and give $1,000 away to an orphanage worth of food and toys. Lord, you, when you're in it, you provide so much greater, Lord, than our expectations. And so, Lord, we just ask right now, I just want everyone in their hearts right now just to repent of their low expectation. Say, I'm sorry for my low expectation. In your heart, just say, God, I'm ready for promotion. I'm ready to have my eyes revealed to your work around me. Lord, we believe that you have created us to be witnesses to this world. Lord, some of us, it'll be witnesses to countries, to states, to leaders, to presidents to the poor, to the needy. Lord, some of us will be witnesses to our own family. And God, you put them all on the same level because God, you're just looking for obedience. God, you are just looking for a generation that will respond to the opportunities you give. Lord, may we be filled with faith. May we be strengthened, God, to believe that there is greater work in us because of you than what we would ever be able to do on our own. Lord, allow us to remove the expectation that is merely set by our own limitations. Let us not be Christians that act out according to our limitations, but let us be acting out towards your infinite expectations, Lord. God, we pray just for power to be entrusted to our community. Lord, we pray for great moves of your spirit in this place, that we would steward this facility, this time, well in that, God, you would multiply God, yourself in us and in this place. And Lord, we want to see change. We want to see powerful moves disproportionate to our little size. And God, we want to see great, amazing things happen, but we just pray that we'd be obedient to just this time that you've given us. And we'll leave the rest to you. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are good, you are faithful, you are true, and you are so loving for us. And it is in your son's name, Jesus' name, and all the power and the authority that you've given to us, we pray. Amen.